Imogen coming back is my absolute favorite, but these are, this is that, today's chapter, and I'm almost positive it's in the very first, has my favorite line to read in all of, in all of my, yes, in all of the reading I do. Maybe it's not this chapter. It's in one of them. You'll know it. Where is Morgan? Okay, chapter 39, page 284. Workbook should be open to page one because you know we've got Tarawick and um, Kippinger be ready to be able to flip to Vargan. I want you guys to really pay attention to the description of Vargan when we see him again. Got it? Here we go. True to Vargan's words, the vigils came for me again at first light. Tarawick and Commander Kippinger amongst them. I asked if anyone had something to eat, but they only laughed at me. I actually would have liked some food and didn't appreciate their laughter. Rodin was unchained first. I lost my spot already. I'm just, I'm just so excited about these chapters, okay? Rodin was unchained first and immediately bowled his fists as if eager for a fight. I wondered how he'd do against these vigils while unarmed. He probably wouldn't last as long as he thought he could. They came for me next and took great care in ensuring I never had a free hand. While they worked, I looked at Imogene and said, I want you to marry me one day. Now the tears spilled over her cheeks. Look where we are. I smiled back at her. We won't marry here, of course, but in the great hall of my castle in front of the entire kingdom. Imogene bit her lip and nodded. Yes, Jaren, I will marry you there. Then I'll find you soon. But if I don't, if I can't, then be happy and know I loved you. More tears fell and she said nothing. The vigils pulled me forward and saw me favoring the ankle wrapped in bandages. Ooh, do you remember what he did? Oh, yeah, he wrapped his ankle like the bandages. Yeah, because what were the guards told they were not allowed to do? Leave yes, leave any marks, okay? Pretending to favor it, actually. Commander Kippinger asked, what happened to your foot? It wasn't in bandages last night. I winced as I limped forward and another step. Tarawick came in during the night and hurt me. It was a better told lie than most I'd ever uttered, and one of the few for which I didn't feel the slightest shred of guilt. He tried to wrap it and hoped that you wouldn't notice. I, no, no, I didn't, Tarawick sputtered. We begged him to stop, Rodin said, joining the fun, but he wanted his revenge before Jaren's execution. They're lying. Tarawick was completely flustered by now. I can't walk far enough to sign the surrender papers, I continued. You should tell Vargan to delay the signing for another month while I heal. You'll sign even if we have to carry you there. Without warning, Kippinger <clears throat> rounded on Tarawick and cracked a fist against his jaw. How dare you defy the king's orders? Then he ordered his other vigils. Take him to my room and lock him in there. I will set a harsh discipline for him after the execution. Kippinger's vigils gripped Tarawick's arms and started to lead him away, still protesting. With everyone watching Tarawick, I clicked my tongue to get his attention. I looked down at my ankle wiggled it back and forth, then winked at him. He pointed at me and made an objection, but by then my expression had returned to one of appropriate pain and suffering, and he was quickly whisked back up the stairs for his punishment. Kippinger turned back to me. Can you walk? I shrugged. I'll try. Just go easy on me, he said. I suggest you go easy, Jaren. If you don't, there's no end of things I can do to you that Vargan never has to know about. I muttered an agreement I had no intention of honoring, then looked back at Imogene as he led us away. She still, had, she still held one fist closed, hiding the key for her chains, and I motioned with my eyes that her chance to, for escape was coming soon. 
My final glance was to Rodin at my side. He didn't look entirely enthusiastic about what was about to happen, but he was ready. Only halfway out of the dungeon, I grabbed the bars to the door and started screaming, No! Wait! I've changed my mind! Don't take me to bargain! A vigil in front of me grabbed my legs to pull me away from the bars. The door swung wide open, and still I held on. Now slightly ahead of me on the stairs, Roden started yelling as well, requiring the vigil behind him to scramble for his control. Kippinger hit my arms with the broadside of his sword until my hold collapsed, and I tumbled to the ground. Then two vigils interlocked arms with mine to drag me upstairs. A quick peek behind me revealed everything I needed to know. They had forgotten to close the dungeon door for Imogene. They probably had forgotten she was even in there. We continued our rant until they dragged us upstairs, at which point Roden tried to make a run for the rear door. I began cursing at him, accusing him of abandoning me in my darkest hour, or something equally silly and dramatic, and the commander shouted for more men to attend to us. They ran at me first, lacking any grace in shoving me to the floor. I yelled at Kippinger not to let them leave any marks, but that clearly wasn't his concern at the moment. More men continued to come, and frankly, with a growing audience, I enjoyed screaming even louder. Unfortunately, nobody had been ordered to avoid leaving marks on Rodin, so many of his cries might have been sincere. Before it was over, there was probably 20 men assigned to each of us. <laughs> each of them. I felt slightly disappointed by that. I'd have preferred 40 each or a respectable number of 30 at least. My most only stood around watching in horror and embarrassment for our childishness, but they all followed as we were carried to the office, and we were all assigned and were all assigned to wait in the hallway in case they were needed. I smiled over at Rodin. A large bruise was already forming under his left eye, and he had a bloody lip and possibly a broken nose. In my thrashing about, my head had collided with the corner of a wall, and blood was running from that wound down the side of my face. It up. Uh, Maybe some people would view that as my own fault, but I already had plans to put the blame elsewhere. To my delight, Rodin smiled back. I wanted to remind him that I had been right before. In its own way, that had been fun. Beyond that, we'd accomplished our goal. Nobody would be watching the dungeon. We calmed down once we arrived in the office, and after a few pointed threats, if I misbehaved again, Commander Kippinger brought us inside. Connor was alone in there this time, wearing different clothes from what he'd worn the previous evening. There was so much white on his silk shirt and vest, it was as if he had draped himself in the color of the saints to conceal the fact that he was the devil's worst. I wonder how he so suddenly acquired such a vast wardrobe. Sometime in the night, a new desk had been located for the office. It wasn't as nice as Connor's original desk had been, but it was undoubtedly still expensive and likely had been forcibly taken from the, from the, cl the closest nearby home. Rodin was shoved to his knees near the back wall, and I was led to a chair in front of the desk, with Connor behind, behind the desk and Kempinger and another vigil standing on either side of me. I was reminded of a similar situation months ago. Back then, I had only suspected Connor of his crimes. Now I understood exactly who he was and the depths to which he would sink to acquire power. Whatever my opinion had been of him then, it was nothing compared to the loathing I felt now. Was that your screaming I just heard, Connor asked. My expression was as innocent as ever. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I heard no screaming. Oh, that. I gestured. Wait. I, you have a nasty gash in your head. Oh, that. I gestured toward the commander. He hit me. I begged him not to. He knew that Vargan didn't want any marks on me. But if there was any screaming, it was probably me pleading with him to stop. Kipmitcher cursed at me, which gave me no small amount of pleasure. 
This boy can't be hanged in coat with a Vinian colors, Connor said. Remove his chain so I can get this off of him. We should ask the king's permission first, Kippinger offers. By the end of the day, I will be Carthia's king. This outfit offends me. Carthia is honored to offend you, I said. Kippinger lowered his voice. Maybe he didn't want me to hear, which was ridiculous. Lord Connor, without the chains, this boy can be dangerous. Before we came in here, if he were any danger to me, I'd be dead long ago. Now unchain him. The chains were undone, leaving my arms feeling almost weightless. When Kippinger <clears throat> pulled my livery off, and once again I was wearing only a plain undershirt. I said a farewell to Kippinger that included my wishes for him to develop boils in his armpits, and then told him to be more careful with me next time. Kippinger snarled and muttered something under his breath, but left. In his place, two other vigils entered the room, maybe to protect me from Connor or Connor from me, I wasn't sure which. Connor sat on the edge of his desk. He pulled a handkerchief from his pocket and offered it to me for the gash on my head. When the bleeding was mostly stopped, he asked, the night you were crowned, after you exposed my crimes to the court, why didn't you have me executed? Obviously, that was a mistake on my part. Maybe so, but why didn't you? The heat in my glare could have boiled water. After a heavy sigh, I said, I always felt you had more of a role to play for Carthia. Clearly, you do, you do, but it turned out to be somewhat less noble than I had hoped for. What you've done now, aligning yourself with Avinia, that's the ultimate betrayal of your country. You once told me that despite your crimes, you were still a patriot. I'm sure we can agree that's no longer true. Connor's eyes narrowed. Arrogant boy, always so certain you have all the answers. Then answer me this. Imogene is still wounded. She needs food and a bed and a physician. I know how you treated her as a servant, but are you really so cruel as to let her die in the dungeons? I sent her there so that you would know she still lives. Connor crossed the room to stand directly in front of me. His eyes briefly flicked to the vigils behind us before he said, you foiled plans I spent a lifetime creating, took everything I was, everything I had. I hate you for that. You know things about me I thought no one could. Learned the secrets of Farthenwood, and you have crowded many more secrets with, uh, in its walls. Jaren, you will not destroy this final plan of mine. Do you understand me? I stared back at him. Yes, sir, Master Connor. I understood him perfectly now. There was much more to say, but we both quieted when the doors opened behind us and Bargain slithered in with Kippinger and several other attendants on his heels. Connor left his post and bowed to Bargain, who acknowledged him with little more than an impolite grunt. Bargain held Connor in roughly the same respect as a spider admires its prey. Once he'd gotten everything he wanted from Connor, Bargain would hang him too. Bargain's face wrinkled as he studied me. That's a terrible cut on your head. Blame Commander Kippinger for that. I think it makes me look like a martyr, don't you? I made a face of false regret. You'll obviously have to delay this morning's activities until I'm healed. And disappoint your audience, he countered. I think not. Why is there a bandage around your ankle? In all the commotion, I'd actually forgotten it was there. Oh, that, I, my foot got cold in the night. Only your foot? It's always been extra sensitive, like my feelings. I unwrapped it and let the bandages fall to the floor. You've been playing games with my men, Bargain said. Therefore, I will feel no guilt in playing games with yours. My eyes narrowed. Playing games seems rather childish for someone so close to crumbling into dust. Bargain chuckled. I'm never too old to enjoy a good joke, and I know you'll like this as much as I will. He gestured to Kippinger, who opened the door and exited. He returned only seconds later with another prisoner, his hands tied behind him and limping heavily. His head was down when he entered, and he raised it as if ashamed to be here. Only when he was forced to kneel beside Rodin did his eyes meet mine. 
Tobias, I breathe. Not you too. Here at the end, the three orphan boys together, making no attempt to hide his pleasure. Connor clasped his hands and turned to bargain. Your majesty, may I interpret this as your gift to me on the day of my coronation? What is, what is um, Jennifer Nielsen doing here? Putting all of them back together. Yes, we are starting back in the same room. We are ending this in the same room we started it in, with the same three boys, right? Yeah. But have they changed? Yes. Are these the same three boys that Connor took from the orphanage? Nope. Nope. Is there loyalty between these three boys, even though it began with deceit? Yep. Have they made sacrifices as leaders? Yep. Have their perceptions of themselves changed and the others' perceptions of them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. You may not, Bargain said tersely. Then to me, he added, not long after Kippinger began the exodus from your camp, this boy walked in unarmed and told my remaining men that in exchange for you, he would surrender himself and provide medical care to all of my wounded. It was stupid to think we'd ever consider trading a king for a young physician, but we do give him credit for his loyalty. I snuck a glimpse at Tobias, who shrugged helplessly. Little did he know you were already on your way here. And besides, we didn't need his help. Kimmage's orders were to kill all our wounded. They're a drain on our resources. Wounded. What did, what did Bargain order? All of his wounded soldiers to kill them. Like even if you just gotta like stab them, you're Yeah, they're a drain on their resources. My eyes passed from Bargain to Kippinger, who was trying very hard not to betray his true feelings about having disposed of his own wounded men. Do you think Kippinger was happy about that? No. No, no those are his men as captain of Bargain's guard. Those guys could have been healed, right? Yeah. Bargain may not have had much regard for his own armies, but that order seemed, seemed cruel even for him. Here is the game then, Jaron. Bargain seemed so delightful, so delighted with himself that he was practically bubbling over with wicked excitement. I have three necks in here, all worthy of hanging, but only two nooses. I will give you the opportunity to save one of you three. Who will it be? The captain of your guard, perhaps? He is strong and courageous. With so many losses to your armies, he would be vital for Carthia's continued protection. Or will you save your scholar? He claimed to have saved many of your wounded the night before he surrendered, including a servant. He says never leaves your side. So Mott was safe then. I have been desperate for news about him. Bargain laughed again. Or will you save yourself? Surely no one is more valuable to Carthia than its king. A very large crowd is already gathering in front of Farthenwood. Let them watch us come out together and announce a grand bargain for all our lands. Choose yourself to survive and I'll allow you to serve me. Are those my only options? I asked. Did you have another one in mind? Two nooses. I'm looking at your neck and Connor's. His eyes darkened. Choose now or I will order them to string up a third rope. Let me die, Tobias said. I did what I could for your wounded. Carthia doesn't need me any longer. We both know someone who needs you very much, I said. You must live today. Then choose me to die, Roden said. I'm honored to stand at your side, even at the gallows. Besides, there is nobody for me. Is that a true statement? No. No, no. but what has he not told Roden yet? Except there was a father who needed him. We'll both go, Tobias said. Not you. Besides him, Roden nodded. I appreciated their loyalty, but I still made a face. 
Don't be ridiculous. The failure of this war lies solely with me. The weight of my attention shifted to bargain. This is my offer. I'll let you hang me twice. I won't even put up a fuss the second time. Connor smirked back at me. If you won't choose, then let's run the third rope. No. I cast my eyes downward, unwilling to look at either of my friends. Take Tobias away from here. Rodan and I will go to the gallows. No, Tobias cried. Save yourself, Jared, please. Get him out of here, I said. Escort him to the crowd in front of Farthingwood, bargain ordered. Make sure he has a good view of his friends. Tobias tried to remain in the room and put up a better fight than I'd have expected. Once he was gone, I turned to Rodan. Forgive me. You made the right choice, Rodan whispered. Though you did choose his name rather quickly. He has a skinny neck. He'd have died faster. That's why you chose me? Because it'll take me longer to die? Yes, Rodan, that's exactly why. Enough bickering. Bargain grabbed a quill from Connor and shoved it at me. Sign these papers, Jaren. With your signature, Connor becomes king and Carthy becomes mine. Sign them or else you'll... No threats are necessary. I stood and dipped the quill in the ink. I gave myself up to do this very thing. As I was writing, Rodan, still kneeling in the back of the room, gasped. I knew he expected better from me and certainly not my surrender. But I was not, I was doing the only thing I could, whether he understood that or not. When I finished, I threw the quill against the back wall and told Bargain to get his next part, get this next part over with. Connor inspected the document while Bargain called for my hands to be tied again. Connor asked for the honor of doing the task. I held my hands out in front of me, but Connor ordered them at my back and wound the ropes tightly against my wrists. With the sores already cut into the flesh, the rough cordage was far more painful than the chains had even that had ever been. I suspected Connor must have known that and likely took pleasure in it. Once we entered the great hall, I began working to untie the ropes, but Connor put one hand over the knots, preventing from any movement there. We stood at the doors of Farthingwood as an announcement was made that we, that we were coming out. While we waited, Bargain leaned over to me and said, Who did you think you were to stand up to someone like me? I remained facing forward while I said, I am Jaren, the ascendant king of Carthia. You will regret ever bringing war against me. And the doors opened. Just well, let you know, that's my favorite line to read. Doesn't it give you like little shivers? No. no. It should. I am Jaren, the ascendant king of Carthia. You will regret ever bringing war to me. It's not. I like it. It's not. I heard. It was an unusually beautiful morning, warm and bright, with sapphire skies that were better suited to a picnic than a hanging. A light breeze stirred the two nooses hanging from the gallows in circles. The beams weren't tall, the kind that would snap a neck as soon as the floor collapsed, causing instant, relatively painless death. These were the shorter ones with a knot at the end of the neck. They cut off. Uh, cut off our air once the stools beneath our feet were kicked away, creating a slow and terrible death. That had been a deliberate choice, I suspected. They wanted me to suffer and for everyone in the audience to have a long time to understand the consequences of defying King Bargain. For there was indeed a large crowd outgathered, many more than I had anticipated. Most of the audience was the soldiers of Avinia and Mendenwall. Tobias was now standing with my other regents near the front, like those around him, his face registered dread for what was about to happen. But something seemed, something more seemed etched into his expression, perhaps the conflicted feelings of guilt and relief that I had chosen him to escape the noose. I wish he wouldn't torture himself with that. The choice had been mine, and I made the correct one. If he would have looked, direct, looked directly at me, I would have tried to communicate that to him. 
but his eyes were cast downward ashamed. The other regents were looking at me, and I gave them a respectful nod for having come. I suspected that immediately after our deaths, they'd be taken to bargain and forced to give oaths of fealty to him and Connor. Kerwin was missing from the group. Either he was still in Mendenwall, or else he had escaped Fargan's demands that he be in attendance. Standing beside Tobias was Harlow. His eyes were filled with horror as he stared at me. Considering who, walk, who walked beside me, it was wrong that he should care so much about my death. I lowered my head and said to Rodin, There's something I should have told you last night. Rodin's voice wavered when he spoke. Yes? <laughs> so seriously, they're walking up to the noose. And he's just now going to tell Harlow, or tell Rodin that he's got a father. Like, that, like, like this is like... The worst time. The worst time <laughs> in the world. You have a father, Rodin. He's alive and he is here. What? Rodin jerked his whole body towards me. Who? I cocked my head towards the center of the crowd. Rulon Harlow, the prime regent. How could you know that? His wife was named Havanilla. Harlow is your father. But Rodin paused and considered that a moment. He lost her younger son as an infant. Didn't I hear that? It was you. I'm sorry. I should have told you last night. Do you think so? He cursed and craned his neck to look into the crowd. I know by the slump of his shoulders when he located Harlow. Then his tone softened. Does he know? No. I thought you should tell him. I wish I could. We took a few more steps and he said, I know you tried to save us, Jaren. I forgive you for failing. With a coy smile, I glanced over at him. What failure? Everything is exactly as it should be. I disagree, Rodin said. I can think of a thousand ways I'd rather spend my morning. Think of the ways you'd like to spend your evening then. With a smile, I added, I intend to curl up in front of a warm fire with Imogene beside me. That sounds nice. But if you're near any fires tonight, it might be that your soul landed in the devil's lair. I chuckled. That's more likely than either of us resting with the saints. But if we do, just imagine the trouble we could cause there. He smiled back. Goodbye, Jaren. No, Rodin, not yet. At that, the commander pulled Rodin onto the platform and directed him to stand on the stool. From my position, I could see the shaking of Rodin's hands, so fierce it rattled the chains on his wrists. A man standing at the front of the platform announced that here was the captain of the Carthian Guard, guilty of war against Avinia, Gellion, and Mendenwall. Rodin stood tall as the noose was tightened around his neck. He was heaving deep breaths as if that might somehow delay the suffocation. Connor had left my side and turned his back on me to greet other dignitaries seated on the steps of Farthingwood. It allowed me to work at the ropes around my wrists while the position of his body also blocked others from seeing what I was doing. I wasn't quite sure what I'd do once my hands were untied. I was still unarmed and surrounded by enemies, but it was a start. Shortly before I was through the knots, Connor turned and grabbed my wrists again. Without calling attention to himself, he wound the loose rope back over my wrists. I couldn't tell whether he knotted anything again, but if he did, any hope I had was lost. It was my turn now for the noose. Connor escorted me to the platform and told me to get on the stool, which I did. Then he pulled the noose around my neck and tightened it a little, though it would surely pull tighter to kill me. The coarse threads scratched like claws against my skin and I was already feeling the pinch for air. From here, I could see the audience better. I recognized a few of the thieves amongst the Avinian soldiers. They were nearly expressionless as they stared up at me. It was impossible for me to tell whether they were regretting or celebrating my death, probably the latter. And oddly, I saw Eric in the audience. Only Eric, none of the pirates. He acknowledged me with a grim smile and a slight nod. I returned the gesture, grateful beyond words, that he had come. King Bargain will have you speak now, Connor said. Remind your people of where their loyalties must be. <laughs> My eyes shifted 
from him back to the crowd. When those from Carthia saw me looking, they went to their knees. So did Eric and a few others I didn't know. I swallowed hard to gain control of my emotions and then said, I am commanded by the king of Avinia to give you one last order and so I shall. Hear me now and always. Be loyal to the things you know is right. Never bend a weakness. Never yield to a false crown. Right will always triumph in the end and you will want to be on that side when it does. The ending I had intended would have been even better if Connor had not cut me off by crashing his fist into my gut. A gasp spread through the audience who went to their feet in my defense. Kippinger shouted to the crowd to ignore my last words or be hanged next. His soldiers left the platform and quieted a few of the more rowdy objectors with the hilt of their blades. I had recovered from the punch, but my balance was threatened. I might have fallen then, but Connor put his hands on my arms to steady my weight. When he did, I felt something cold run up my sleeve and caught the end of it in my hand. Connor had given me a knife. It was small, but felt sharp enough, and I gripped it tightly to keep it hidden. He said nothing more, didn't even look at me as he left the platform. The announcer on the platform said my name, gave my title as the King of Carthia, and then accused me of the crimes of waging war against the kingdoms of Avinia, Mendenwall, and Gellion. Ridiculous charges, considering they were standing on my land. When he finished, he walked off the platforms, flat, platform two. King Bargain stood and spoke the simple words, do it. And the two execu executioners kicked out the stools from beneath us. He said it. I jumped forward and the instant bargain gave the order. It was only gave me a little traction, but it was enough to keep me suspended in the air for a precious second or two. I tore my hands free from the ropes, grabbed the noose to give myself some air. Bargain called out that I had a knife, and when I swung back, I kicked one executioner into the other, and they toppled over the edge of the platform. Other soldiers were rushing forward, though. I had to be fast. I used my weight to swing towards Rodin, who was quickly losing consciousness. I grabbed onto his rope and with the knife sliced through the cords. Rodin fell to the platform and listlessly rolled over to the edge of the ground below. Harlow and Tobias rushed forward to help him. With one hand still holding the dangling portion of Rodin's rope, I sliced through my own noose with my free hand, then jumped to the ground beside Rodin. Harlow had already loosened Rodin's rope and Tobias was feeling for his pulse. Keep him alive. For Rodin's protection, I pressed the knife into Harlow's hands. His life means everything to you. The soldiers who had been slowed by the crowd were now advancing on me, but I ran the other way beneath the gallows and back up Farthingwood steps. I cut my hands around my mouth and yelled, Eric, call for your men. Eric withdrew a horn from his side and blew on it. And the result was so instantaneous from within Farthingwood that the bulk of the pirates must have already left their places in the secret passages to wait for the signal. Back when we were alone in his office, Connor had confirmed that they were there. The many secrets I had crowded within the walls. So he basically told them that they were there. So who has been on his side since he walked into Farthingwood? Connor. I'd never been sure exactly how this would come to, the, come to be the final battle of the war, but I had always known that this is where it must happen and that it could not succeed without the pirates. I was certain it had been no small job to persuade them to fulfill their oaths. My gratitude to Eric was deeper than he could ever understand. When Mott and I had visited the pirates, I had asked Eric to come here regardless of whether he was successful in bringing his men. But they were here, and they had clearly found the secret passages, as I had requested. So I couldn't imagine how long they'd had to hide in there, all the while completely silent. I hoped their anger for the endless wait would be exhausted on Bargain's armies. 
At the sound of fighting, the bottoms of my wagons of gold collapsed. Another use for the false floors designed by Tobias. Out poured one of my lieutenants, along with hundreds of weapons. Enough for most of my soldiers who had been compelled to come here unarmed. Dozens more poured from the woods for a fight. It wasn't as many as I would have wanted, but Bargain had been a fool to believe every soldier I had was gathered in the audience. They stampeded from the woods outside Connor's estate, each heavily armed and ready for battle. That was all wonderful to see, but in the present moment, it wasn't wise for me to stand and watch for long. Several Avinian soldiers chased me up farther wood stairs, including Commander Kippinger, who was spending far more energy than he should have hurling threats my way. Once I reached the top, I leapt over the bronze railing to the ground. My landing on the grass wasn't particularly graceful, but I thought my clumsiness here could easily be overlooked based on the art of my escape from the noose. I ran across the back lawn with the Avinians in pursuit, and due to my youth and lack of weighty armor, was getting a fair lead on them. But I stopped when I saw Mendenwall had rounded the far side of the estate and was coming at me from ahead. There was nowhere to go but up. What has he not done yet since his broken leg? He has not had a successful climb, right? I had not made a successful climb since the night I climbed to the pirate's tarblade cliffs shortly after Rodin broke my leg. I made many attempts since then, most which nobody else knew about because it would have embarrassed me and made the castle surgeons furious, also because they had all ended in failure. This one could not. I took hold of the square cut rocks and reminded myself that while Connor had kept me here at Farthingwood, I'd made this climb several times. I might yet have a chance at winning and I would not fail because of something as simple as a weakened right leg. So I brushed my hands on my clothes to dry them and climbed just out of Kippinger's reach when he leapt for me. He cursed at me and kicked against the wall, then yelled, you go much higher, you won't need to hang you. you. Your fall will surely take care of your own death. I wanted to retort, so many possibilities came to my mind, that it was so hard not to, but the climb needed my full attention. As easily as I had scaled these walls before my injury, now my hands seemed to grip smooth glass and my legs felt as if they were made of straw. My right leg was the worst. It trembled beneath my weight. And after one small slide, I knew it could not be trusted. I'll be waiting here at the bottom when you fall, Kippinger yelled. I would not fall. Never again. Gritting my teeth, I replayed Mott's voice in my mind, telling me that I was the ascendant king, meant to rise, and so I would. From far below, Kippinger screamed at me. You cannot win, Jaren. Those chains that held you in the dungeon aren't gone. I know you can feel them. All I must do is pull up the chains and you will fall. By then, I had reached Connor's balcony. I paused just a moment before rolling over the balustrade. My hand dug deep into the pocket of my pants and withdrew a single garland. I had it with me since the first night Kippinger placed it high on my prison walls in the, in the camp. It was meant, he had meant for it to be a lesson, that there was no point in me trying to win, but I had taken it as a challenge. Getting it had cost every ounce of strength I had, and I fell dozens of times in the attempt before figuring out how to maneuver my chains so that I could reach it. By the next day, Kippinger had forgotten his cruel game. I had not. Now I held up the coin for him to see. You are wrong, Commander. Whatever chains you try to place on me, I will always, always rise from them. I'm not buying my freedom because you never owned it, but I am taking it back for me and my country. Then I set the coin on the edge of the balustrade and told him to reach for it if he wished to purchase his own freedom. As I opened the door to Connor's old bedroom, Kippinger yelled at his men to get inside. I was only barely through the door when I heard his men pounding up the stairs. I stepped forward, but my tired legs turned to lead. 
So I braced my weight against the wall until I was all the way inside. At one time, a tapestry had masked the secret entrance to the passages, but even though the tapestry was missing now, the construction of the secret door remained impressive. If I had not already known where it was, I wouldn't have found it. Kippinger's men wouldn't find it now either. Once the passage door clicked in place behind me, I took a single step forward and then my leg faltered, sending me to my knees. I wouldn't get another climb out of it today and probably couldn't rely on it for fighting. But in Connor's room, I heard the commander ask, where did he go? It was time to leave. I got back on my feet and silently limped towards the main floor. Once I reached the bottom of the hidden stairs, I realized I wasn't alone. Imogene greeted me first with a look that, so that soured from loving to scolding when she noticed my limp and the dried blood from my head wound. There were, there were others with her, and I whispered a promise not to betray them unless they wished to reveal themselves. Then I left the passages and found myself alone in Connor's office. The door from his great, ho the door from his great hall was open, but I decided it would draw attention to the room if I shut it. Enough fighting was happening out in the main room. It was better if no one knew I was here. The papers I'd signed were still laid out across the desk. I picked them up with the intent to burn them, but a creak on the floorboards behind me warned of someone else in the room. I turned around and saw a bargain poised with a dagger held over his head. With my leg in its current state, I couldn't outrun him, and no other weapons were nearby. There weren't many options if he decided to attack, and he clearly would be attacking. With my pirates in this battle, you're going to lose, I said, but there is still time to save yourself. Surrender to me and you will live. Never. Clearly this man had no talent for negotiating. To be fair, I wasn't particularly good at it either. You intended for that thief to bring the message to me. Orkin's voice trembled with rage. You wanted this to end at Farthenwood. Of course I did. I knew this place as well as my own castle. And if one of those homes, if one of these homes had to be destroyed, it wasn't going to be mine. At the time I arranged for the pirates to come here, there was still a few unresolved details in my mind, but I had known the pirates would be needed. It had to end here, I said. Otherwise, the pirates would have stayed hidden in the secret passages until they rotted. They'd have ended up smelling like you, and that would have been a shame. Bargain cried out and rushed towards me. I started to duck, but he grabbed my shirt and shoved me onto the table, then pinned my legs with his weight. He raised the dagger again, but was distracted by a loud cry. Connor was running towards us. I never saw him enter the room. Bargain turned, and with the dagger he had intended for me, slashed Connor across his chest. Everything froze in that moment, except for the fine white silks of Connor's vest that turned a horrible color of red. He patted at the blood and then raised his hand to look at it more closely as if he couldn't quite believe what he was seeing. Once he accepted it, he lowered his hand and tumbled to the floor. By then I had squirmed free and knelt beside Connor, who took my hand in his. With gasping words, he said, I always was a patriot, Jaren. I never lied when I said that you are my king. Forgive me. He moved to kiss my fingers, but instead drew in a gurgled breath and slumped to the floor, dead. He was a traitor to us both, Bargain said. Maybe he was, but he had also just saved my life. Connor had died much as he lived, in the grayish shadow between right and wrong. By then, I had put some distance between Bargain's dagger and myself, but now Kippinger and several other soldiers from both Avinia and Nendenwall had heard Connor's cry and entered the office. I rolled my eyes and sighed, more irritated than afraid. Was it too much to hope for someone on my side to enter? Even one burly, angry pirate would have been nice. I turned back to Vargan. Why did Mendenwald join you? They've never been our enemy. Vargan laughed. When you disappeared four years ago, your father lied to all of us. A political game to keep us away from his borders. I thought it was a rather cle clever trick, but Mendenwald did not. So when you returned to the throne, it wasn't hard to stir up their anger. 
I reminded Humphrey of that time you challenged him as a child, how dangerous you could become if we allowed you to keep your crown. Then I promised him half of Carthia as his spoils of victory. My eyes narrowed. He can't possibly believe you'll allow that. Vargan shrugged. Humphrey is far too trusting. I alone am the emperor of Carthia now. The fool king sitting on Mendenwall's throne doesn't realize I'm coming for him next. Avinia has no power over Mendenwall. A voice boomed. We all turned to the hidden passage door opening behind Connor's desk. The man who emerged was advanced in his years, but his voice betrayed nothing of his age. He was King Humphrey of Mendenwall, and Lord Kerwin stood at his side. So Kerwin got him. Got him, and he was in the secret passage. So did he just hear everything Bargain just said about him? Yes. Yeah, I'm not letting you guys leave the room until the book's over. I turned to look back at Bargain, who had paled to a shape. Just a minute. I'm going to stop my recording for now because it will only let me go for <laughs> You guys noticed the Kippinger game? He had pulled that garland out a few times, but he kept saying this was for something else, and he kept putting it back in the pocket. There were several times he pulled it out, but he put it back in his pocket. He was waiting for when he had to climb and Kippinger would be after him. He was waiting. I turned to look back at Fargan, who had paled to the shade of new-fallen snow. But in the absence of Humphrey declaring any orders, Fargan said, I have a treaty here signed by Jaron that one hour ago. He focused on me. This was a clever trick hiding the king in these walls, but none of it matters. If you had bothered to read the treaty, you know it gives sole control of Carthia to Avinia. Mendenwall gets nothing. Jaron signed away everything to me. I smiled back at him. You require spectacles for reading but don't want people to see you using them. Some might consider that vanity. I consider it foolish. You should have read my signature. Fargan grabbed the treaty and squinted to read it. While he worked at it, I sat on the desk crushing a corner of the papers beneath me and said, I wouldn't sign so much as my toenail clippings over to you. Kippinger pushed his way forward and scanned the treaty. What did he write? Fargan asked. Kippinger suppressed a grin. I could have sworn he did. Without looking at anyone, he said, Jaren wrote, you'll get nothing from me ever, you dog-breath-rotted corpse of a king. Morgan <laughs> lowered at me. In return, I smiled and looked around the room, rather proud of myself for that. King Humphrey addressed his soldiers in the room. Send out word that Mendenwall has reunited with our longtime friends in the kingdom of Carthia. Any Avinians who continues to fight will now face Mendenwall's blades. Then he turned to Morgan, unless you wish to surrender. Never. Your Majesty, it's over, Kippinger said. Let's make our peace and save what lives we can. Fargan shook his head. I will lose every last man in my army if it means Jaren falls. Kill him. Kippinger locked eyes with me, but neither of us moved. He only studied me with a new found respect. Fargan noticed the exchange. With a snarl, he muttered, I'll do it myself then. He raised his dagger again and advanced on me, but Kippinger moved faster. His sword pierced the king from behind. Fargan fell to his knees, turned up his head with a face etched in pain, and then crumpled to the ground, dead by his own commander's hand. It happened so fast, none of us remained in the room. We're sure of what to do next. Humphrey was looking at me, but my attention was locked on the commander. Kippinger stared at his fallen king and slowly nodded his head, as if convincing himself that he had done the right thing. Then he knelt before me and placed his sword at my feet. Avinia surrenders. Enough blood has been spilled. On all sides, I agreed. So who rules Avinia now? Kippinger shrugged. I do, I suppose. 
that won't work. You hate me. Less than I used to. That was good enough. And I felt even better about him when he reached into his pocket and withdrew my father's ring, the king's ring, and held it out to me. He said, I had thought by taking this that I would remove any traces of your nobility, but I could not take the royalty in your heart. I couldn't help but grin. For the record, I'm very glad you didn't try to take my heart. I took the ring from him and replaced it on my finger, grateful for the return of the now familiar weight. Then I looked back at, to Commander Kippinger, though I supposed he was king now. Your men will leave their weapons here, but I will allow you to collect your wounded men, and Tobias will provide you with any help we can offer in their care. Other than that, I want you and your soldiers out of my country immediately. Do not return again ever to make war against us. Kippinger stood again, but his sword remained on the floor. Yes, King Jaron, I'll see to it at once. I tilted my head to excuse him, and he left the room. Next, the remaining soldiers deposited their swords at my feet, then, headed, then heeded Kerwin's orders to remove Bargain's and Connor's bodies from the room. Once they were gone, King Humphrey walked forward. Lord Kerwin convinced me to come here on the promise that I would have to see what, would, what became of the incorrigible boy who had challenged me to a duel. I believe that you are every bit as difficult now as you were then. You're wrong, I said. I'm far worse now than I ever was. He chuckled, and then with more seriousness, I said, I was wrong about you. Forgive me. <coughs> Forgiveness would come in time. For now, it was enough to hear Humphrey's men in the Great Hall shouting Mendenwall's new orders. Swords clanged to the floor, and the grunts and cries of men at war were very quickly turning to silence, to silence, to peace. I said to Kerwin, I'll return soon, but please watch over the retreat and help our wounded. Kerwin started to ask me where I was going, but as I opened the door to the passages, he only smiled and said, your lady is inside these walls waiting for you. The three books that come after these happen between, what, page 314 and the next chapter. Okay? So if you look at chapter 43, it says, Imogene and I were married a little over a year later in the Great Hall of my castle. So that year in between, the three books in the, in the spinoff series happens in that year. In the great hall of my castle, as I had promised her. She wore my mother's wedding gown, carefully saved away all these years, and a wreath of miniature roses in her hair. The hall was filled to its capacity, and the courtyard outside was just as thickly packed, awaiting our first appearance as king and queen, husband and wife. Tobias and Amarinda had married several months earlier and were happier than ever. They lived well here in the castle, and my friendship with them both had only strengthened since the war's end. He had become apprentice to the castle physician, a profession that ensured he would continue finding ways to frustrate me, at least as often as I found ways to injure myself. I would always be grateful to them for saving Mott's life. He moved slower than he used to, and I knew the wound he'd suffered still gave him pain. Although he would never fight again, I hoped to lead a kingdom where it would never... It would never again be necessary. He spent our entire first conversation after his recovery lecturing me for my usual failings of recklessness, but ended it by promising to serve me with even greater loyalty. I wasn't sure that was possible. Fink held the ring for Imogene and gave it to me when the priest called for it. He winked at me, hoping for congratulations that he had managed not to lose it. That actually was a significant accomplishment, and I gave him a wink back. Fink had become a younger brother to me, every bit as annoying, every bit as valuable. Rodin and Harlow had spent most of the past year learning to know each other as father and son. Rodin had been the one to tell him of their connection, though he'd waited several days after the war's end to find the right moment. I'd had little to do with their reunion, and Harlow's gratitude to me was as warm as the day I'd saved Nyla's life. 
Ronan spent the bulk of his free time with his father, immersed in the education he should have had throughout his life. But he remained the captain of my guard and was growing continually more confident in his role. Under his command, Carthia would eventually rebuild a strong, an army strong enough to always keep us free. My fears that Harlow might abandon his attentions to me had turned out to be unfounded. Over the past several months, I had come to understand that love can only expand and allow any number into its circle. Harlow might have come to love me as a son, and yet I felt I had come to an understanding when my, with my own father too. For the first time in my life, I, had, I was settled in my ways of thinking about him. Immediately after the battles end at Farthenwood, I had relinquished my title as King of the Pirates and given the rule entirely to Eric. As far as I knew, he continued to lead them. Even still, their brand remained on my forearm, and a part of me would always belong to them. If ever they called for me in a time of need, I was bound by oath to answer. It had been a difficult year in rebuilding Carthia. We had lost far too many men, and full recovery was at least a generation away. But each day was better, and nothing remained to threaten us. Certainly not Avinia. Commander Kippinger had taken the throne and presided over a much diminished country. I had urged him to build schools, not weapons, and so far he seemed to have taken my advice. After tough negotiations, Galleon and Carthia gradually reopened training routes, though I kept a standing army on our northern border now, and the relationship was warming with Mendenwall. In fact, anticipating an eventual child for Imogene and me, King Humphrey had offered a treaty of betrothal with one of his grandchildren. Although his intentions were well meant, we kindly rejected his offer. And on the night of my wedding, I held Imogene close in my arms with no thought of ever releasing her. Better still was that Imogene held me too. She was my family, my life, and the center of my world. All that I knew was at peace. Okay, you guys do have a lot of time in class today. 